Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the C2C podcast, where today we'll actually be hitting the finale. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said the finale of our Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone coverage. As always, we're your hosts, Ron Jennings and Drew Cullen. Drew, be a doll and say hi to the fine people for me, please. What's up, everybody? Man, I can't believe we're about to wrap up book one of the series already. Right now, we've only got chapters 15 through 17 separating us from the opening pages of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, I'm so torn, man. I, I want this journey to last forever, but at the same time, you know, I'm excited to keep on rolling through this book and to get to the real meat of these. Uh, if I said it once, I'll say it a hundred times. You know, these books just keep getting better and better as you go along. Uh, J.K. Rowling really started to kind of come into her own as the series went on. And like, as the gang kind of matured a little bit more, you got to get a lot more insight into their characters and to kind of get a little bit more development of the actual plot lines and see everything come together. And, you know, I'll tell you, I'm super excited to continue this journey, Drew, both with you and with the people as well. What would, what are your thoughts, man? Give me, give me some nuggets here. Yeah, it's, it's so weird because we read and record in these big chunks. So this time you sent me read chapters 15 through 17, and I thought it was a mistype. Uh, I, it was only three when normally we do four or five at a time. So I literally asked you and you're like, no, it's to the end of the book, 17. I'm so used to reading like books six and seven when we would go on big, um, road trips 24 hours we would just drive straight and the entire time I'd be reading one Harry Potter book because it's so much bigger than the first one this first one we just blew straight through and it was the nostalgia road trip that I needed yeah man dude I'm I'm right there with you I would always just eat those books up during family vacations anytime we would be traveling anywhere I'd scoop the most recent book at my poor mom we'd buy it at the airport bookstore and it always cost like $70 or something that's a huge exaggeration I'm sorry but like you know what I'm saying. They always super over overcharge on stuff there. So my mom, at a goodness of her heart, she'd always scoop those books for me, and I'd just read them straight through airport, flight, all that stuff. But, you know, Drew, we don't have too much more time for sentimentals. We could always ask, answer questions if you guys have any about how we got into these series um, and just things of that nature. If you guys ever have questions, you could leave them in, leave them in your reviews or – we could always do a Q&A if you guys leave some questions down. We'll be happy to answer those for you. But yes, Drew, we have a job to do. Those of you that are veterans know we love you. We appreciate you. And again, welcome back. Indeed. You already know what we're all about. But for our new listeners out there who, don't get me wrong, we also love and appreciate you guys, but it is a very new relationship. We are not about to Ted Mosby you guys and say that we love you on the very first interaction. Um, Drew and I are taking out our magic wads and casting the Zoomius spell in order to come together and walk you through some of our favorite fantasy novels going cover to cover and leaving as few stones as possible unturned <laughs> i didn't realize i did that stone do you like that Drew? that was pretty solid i, I do i do <laughs> so what's our goal our goal is to introduce or in some cases it's going to be a reintroduction for you guys to gather you into these fantasy stories that we really like and hope that you guys grow to love them just as much as we do and how are we going to do it? We are going to do it in as spoiler-free of a method as possible. Note the as possible there. Drew and I are human. We're both very easily excited. We're like the golden retrievers of the podcasting world. Um, so while we aim to avoid giving spoilers to you guys, we may slip up here and there. So just know it's never on purpose, but please proceed with caution. If you guys have to clip this down and read and catch up, totally fine. We'll be right here for you when you're back. All right, Drew, let me let me run through my checklist here. So we greeted the people, told the people the chapters were covering. We did our disclaimer. 
I think the only thing left is to discuss our central themes of this section. Uh, Drew, why don't you start us off? Yeah, for the uh, the last section of this book about a stone, the I had really trouble thinking about a theme. After we did the first recording, obviously I've been trying to think of it as I'm reading, and I didn't get it until the last few pages is when it all clicked. Um, so spoiler, if you go chapter to chapter with us, this is the last chapter. But when Harry is laying in the hospital bed and he screamed Voldemort at Hagrid, like the word Voldemort, because he was determined. He said, I've met him now. I'm saying his name. I'm over it. Uh, that was really what summed it up for me. This whole section is about bravery and putting priorities where they belong. Yeah, true. I think we, Family Feud would say, Couts, we had basically the same exact answer. I went with courage for my word. So, you know, as we go back to the Sorting Hat song where they introduced us to all the houses, one of the telling traits of members of the Gryffindor house is their exhibition of courage. And as you probably have seen throughout all the reading that we've done, this courageous character trait is super prevalent across all of our favorite Gryffindors, naturally our trio. So, of course, it's Harry, Ron, and Hermione as they're going down into the trap door to face whatever may be in front of them. They don't know what they're going to run into when they go down there, and they do it bravely. They're just going to go in there, and, like, naturally, Harry shows his courage at first when he says, I need to go stop Snape from taking the stone. Like, if you guys have been reading along, you know that they're super suspicious of this dude. They think he is the one that is aiming to take the stone. And then Ron and Hermione are like, all right, dude, put the cape but the cloak over all of us, we're all going and we're all in this together. We're all going to do this. And then even, even get Neville a little later, he stands up to his friends and that takes in some type of uncommon courage as well. Again, we'll talk about these scenarios more in length as they pop up through the rest of our chapter to chapter walk through here. But again, these are just really good displays of courage from our protagonists and at such a young age. And it really gives you the idea that they're destined for really great things. With that, Drew, I think it's time for us to dive in and get started here. Get out your telescope, look up towards Mars, read your riddles, and carefully sift through your selection of Birdie Bots, every, every flavored beans. Uh, don't want to run into any earwax flavor there. We have a stone to save, my friend. Chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. Chapter 15 picks up right where we left off at the end of last section, at the end of last episode, where two-thirds of our trio is certainly in trouble here and not the two-thirds so, we're used to <laughs> exactly like anytime you think trouble you think it's the two knuckleheads tweedle and tweedlebee ron and harry but ron's out there scot-free just hanging out in bed yep he's just chilling in bed he's got a nice little wrap on his wrist for his little dragon bite he's actually free of trouble and damage this time so good for you ron a little bit of an easy life for you this time so we had a little bit of ups and downs here. The gang was able to successfully send Norbert off and get Hagrid's dumbass out of trouble. But at the same time, just foolish mistake of forgetting the invisibility cloak, this priceless artifact, which like Ron, even our resident idiot Ron, like laid it into Harry when he got it. He's like, this is super rare. This is super valuable. This is super powerful. Like whoever gave you this gift, like it's a very important gift. Hang on to this thing. And they leave it behind. Yeah, I'm not going to get and... into it too much in this episode because I, I got roasted uh, pretty hard for how hard I attacked Hermione last episode for not being the <laughs> doting mother. But whatever. She should have remembered. Somebody should have had it in their head like, oh, this is very important. Let's either, either fold this up, bring it back with us, or let's just toss it over us and get it back. But, of course, we can't rewrite the past. They forget it. Filch catches up. 
To make matters worse, we run into Professor McGonagall for their day of reckoning, their punishment. And who does she have in tow but poor hapless Neville Logbottom, who was out of bed at night. And what was he doing, you might ask? Well, it turns out that Neville found out Malfoy was trying to catch them out of bed, and he wanted to go warn his friends. Though McGonagall is incorrect here, she lays it out in this manner, that the gang tried to trick Malfoy, and poor stupid Neville heard the plot, and he thought it was real too. So he wanted to go help them out, and he got caught in the trap. Like, the poor kid can't believe what just went down here. He trusted these kids so much. They stood up for him. They comforted him when he was down, and then they turned around and did this to him. Like, we know it's not true, but there's no way to convey that that's actually not the case here. And poor Neville is just here to be heartbroken. And I get that the that Harry and Ron and Hermione are going to lie from now on to try to save Hagrid. At what point does Hagrid have to say, all right, look, this was all my fault, and I need to step up and protect these 11-year-olds from the trouble they're going to get in because it, it really was me. They were trying to help me out. I, I thought that was super weird, and I, I lost a little bit of respect for Hagrid here. Yeah, it's uh, it's really difficult because Hagrid is such like a strong presence throughout these stories, and he does do a lot of good for Harry and the kids. He does a lot to like back them up and do stuff, but at the same time, he just causes them so much trouble, and it's all so avoidable. And like at his age, he should know that some of this stuff is just not right or would not go how he would think it would go. It's very unfair that that he puts this burden on these teenage kids, and like at this case, not even teenagers yet. So it's a little difficult for me. I still do like Hagrid as a character, but some of this stuff is just super frustrating. You have to work through it. Of course, he's still an awesome character and friend to them. Just weird. Exactly, exactly. It is super weird. Uh, compared to other teachers, we find out that <laughs> Professor McGee is not fucking around in terms of punishments and taking points away. But, like, can we stop and say, like, she's so upset that it's just kids out of bed late at night she says, four students out to bed in one night. I've never heard such a thing before. And not only was James Potter a troublemaker with his gang of misfits out of bed late practically every night, I'm pretty sure, but there's definitely been cases where kids have been out of bed before this. This is not some new thing. This is should not be her first rodeo encountering kids out of bed right now. No, Fred and, and like, George for... only use the Marauder's Map during the day. There's no way they leave the Gryffindor common room at night. Yeah, and like for all she knows, like they were just exploring at night like it's not like molly and arthur weasley were doing we're practicing cranking out weasleys like an assembly line early on in their time at hogwarts i mean that's in drift or common room but at the same time cross between guys and girls dorms like come on now it's hard to get in that girls dorm but yeah mcgonagall gets so mad here she literally destroys the house cup system in one go just because she's that upset yeah, this punishment makes absolutely no sense to me, and it's so broken compared to what we've seen before. Absolutely so ridiculous. For, so for punishment, it's minus 50 for each person. Negative 50 each, a whopping negative 150 for Gryffindor. There goes an entire Quidditch match worth of points that you got for your team. And for being out of bed late at a supposedly safe castle, like, really? Dude, it looks like the teachers don't even buy that this is a safe place. With McGee going so far as to say these are dangerous times. Dangerous for what? A troll broke into the castle months ago and a broom was jinxed by a teacher. Other than that, nothing has happened besides Dumbledore locking a mastiff death dog in the castle in one of the corridors. It's frustrating. Safest school in the history of schools. This is supposed to be such a safe spot and like wandering out of bed in dangerous times. Not dangerous. Like, oh my God. Whatever. So 
she basically just drops Tank's Gryffindor to last place in the House Cup standings. I don't know if she likes a good underdog story or what, but I'm pretty sure she's the only teacher that would absolutely body her own house like that. Absolutely no way Snape ever takes 50 points away from Slytherin, let alone 150. Yeah, all I could see is Snape, like, smacking him around really quick and be like, 10 points from Slytherin. Yeah. And, like, that's it. He's going to abuse the individual, not the group. (sighs) Yeah. So everybody's dreading the warning like you even hear harry he says that he can hear neville sobbing into this pillow into the night until he falls asleep like that's awful poor kid like poor neville he was just trying to help doesn't even know where his toad is right now probably doesn't man he never knows where that toad is gotta get a leash for that thing but the gang's popularity just absolutely tanks across three out of the four of the houses almost instantly and it just basically paves the way for slytherin to win the house cup again so at this point harry's just like i'm done meddling i've caused enough trouble we're just going to keep our heads down focus on schoolwork, and just finish out the year so like what had been such a great year for him so far just automatically turned into a nightmare scenario and he just can't wait of all things he can't wait to go home and go back to the dursleys like he's just sick of being yelled at like this or being ridiculed and hated like that footage practice they don't even call him by his name they call him the seeker like they don't want to talk to him and his desire to stay out of trouble immediately becomes very difficult when he overhears quirrell like practically in tears begging for mercy in an abandoned classroom so he tells ron and hermione about this and like ron instantly gets that glint of adventure in his eyes like so excited he's like oh are we gonna go figure out what's going on and then harry's like dude no we're staying out of it we don't have any good proof to incriminate snape I'm going to talk about Jupiter's moods again. Like, just keep rolling through our study guides. Shortly after that, we get notes during breakfast. Ascension tonight at 11 p.m. <laughs> so also out of bed late after hours. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. Unless it's trained them to be like, hey, you want to be out of bed late? We're going to punish you late. Like, that's all I can think of either way. I'm not super sure about this punishment, dude. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, it's super weird. Just this and then the woods combined. We're going to make you stay up past your bedtime, which we have specifically said not to do. And we're going to make you go to these dangerous woods with only a dog as a chaperone for two of you, which we've also told you not to do. Safest school in the history of schools. Oh, my God. We're going to get into that more. Just hold hold your horses, Drew. Just you wait. So we got a little math equation here. The squad minus R plus N is heading down to the Great Hall to meet Filch and Malfoy. So you see Filch take kind of his Walkman headphone out of his ear, and we can hear a faint chorus of Rihanna's S&M as he pulls it out. He announces it's time to go. Sigh of relief, hanging with Hagrid tonight. Not so sigh of relief, you're going to the Forbidden Forest tonight. Like you said, Drew, you know, it's the one that they announce at the beginning of every school year. Uh, Off limits. Makes sense. So out of bed late equals possible life-threatening punishment. Nothing strange here. Please carry on. Malfoy and Neville naturally super shook. Uh, Malfoy's fighting hard against going into this godforsaken place. You know, can't say I blame him. I would be super not down with it, but at the same time, great to see him squirm. I just want to bring up that Filch was a half hour late bringing the kids to Hagrid, and Hagrid says it was because Filch was lecturing them the entire time. Did he actually lecture for a half hour and walk that slowly so he could talk that whole time? I feel like he probably did because he's telling them, oh, you got off lucky. Oh, back in my day, we used to be able to have the chains and the manacles. I've been asking Dumbledore for permission for years to bring him back. Because yeah. he's a sick fuck and just likes to torture kids. I'm going to be honest, any chance of a defense of Filch video happening was deleted in this chapter. Totally understandable. Yeah, he's a 
piece of garbage. It was kind of disgusting how he was talking to young children. Don't condone that at all. Super uncool with it. Can totally get why he gets made fun of for not knowing magic. That's a little bit of a spoiler, but Filch is not the most most important character, I'll say. So dumb squid. doesn't really matter too much. <laughs> so the objective of detention tonight is not to copy lines in a scary place. We're not clapping out erasers into the forest, which again, that would not be super environmentally friendly either. So kind of glad they're not doing that. But there's been a unicorn attack in the forest, and we need to get down to the bottom of what attacked this thing, and they need to find its body. So Hagrid's idea, his brilliant idea, is to split them into teams. So you're allowing kids to split up in this deadly forest to try to find something that's vile and powerful enough to kill a unicorn in the dead of night. There's no safer place at Hogwarts. Like, what is the idea behind this? So Fang will run at any sign of danger and Hagrid has a crossbow that he keeps having to manually load in order to fight back. Like they're literally sitting ducks here, whatever they run into, they have no chance of defending themselves. I legitimately wouldn't have had an issue. And I didn't at the beginning when he said, nothing is going to attack you as long as either I or Fang am with you. But then when Malfoy decides, I want to go with Fang, look at his teeth. He's my homie. Hagrid makes the joke that Fang's just going to run away. Then what do you mean? Nothing's going to attack you when Fang's around. If he's just going to be a coward. Yeah, a couple not so great chapters for Hagrid coming up. Very whole, unfortunate for our half-giant friend. The whole book is not for Hagrid. Yeah, very rough book for Hagrid. He does kind of get some retribution later on, and he does have a nice little moment at the end of this book, but again, very irresponsible for this dude, and you can only hope that he would learn from some things like this. Yeah, if you thought my Hermione rant was bad at the end of the last section, just wait till the end of the section with my Hagrid rant. Oh, I'll tell you, I can't wait. Continuing on, we get our introduction to another brand of magical creature here called the centaur. Centaurs, as it seems, are the astrology fanatics of the wizarding world. Their brand of, I guess you could say, magic is that they read the stars and they let fate kind of take control. And they just kind of read and glean what's going on in the heavens, like based on how the constellations are moving and how the planets are aligning. They let that kind of decide what is going to happen and they just... They're not going to interfere with what supposedly the fates in the sky is kind of foretell. Consistently tonight when they run into some centaurs, it's it's pretty funny. They run into Bane and they also run into Ronan, who are two of the centaurs. And like every time Hagrid will try to talk to them, they'll just go, Mars is bright tonight. <laughs> so Mars in Roman mythology, as most of you probably know, is the god of war. So could this indicate that a war is on the horizon? Will we see the mark of the beginning of a future wizarding war uh, remains to be seen. Naturally, Hagrid really isn't into this astrology mumbo jumbo. He's not very much a book guy, I would say, either as it stands. So he kind of gets frustrated with their consistently roundabout method of discussing the night. So, of course, meanwhile, across the forest, Malfoy bungles everything by jumping Neville and surprising him, causing him to send up the flurry of red sparks indicating danger and a very frustrated Hagrid comes in and changes teams and like I think he very outwardly calls Malfoy an idiot here which like not wrong but also probably shouldn't say that about one of your students here that's a very Snape like thing to do. Yeah he proceeds to whisper in Harry's ear immediately after out loud saying that Malfoy's an idiot I feel like you should have just whispered one word earlier. Yeah probably should have again not a great not a great stretch for Hagrid. So we get Malfoy and Harry are the new team with Fang, of course, the dog who is just going to run when they run into trouble. Which uh, Harry stumble... and Malfoy together are actually an OP team. So I would have put them with Fang. It actually is a good point. That is a pretty solid team to go with Fang. I agree with that. 
so they run into the unicorn finally and there's a very strange occurrence here so out of the brush we have a shadowy figure appears and almost kind of slithers over to the unicorn to start drinking its blood and harry scar is absolutely searing right now so malfoy and fang they're like we know that we don't know what this is we're not standing around to figure it out we're out of here they dip and it looks pretty dire for the boy who lived. But luckily, we are introduced to yet another centaur, whose name is Ferenz, who drives off the threat. And it's at this point we see some kind of further examples of the divide that exists in the wizarding world. So the other centaurs, when they come upon Ferenz, who not only saved Harry, but he's letting Harry ride on his back because Harry like basically collapsed when this figure came out and his scar was hurting. They're likening him to a common mule, and they're very frustrated saying that appears that he's gone against what's written in the heavens to act as a helper of the humans but friends in like a very strong stance here and another good example of displaying his courage says that he is aligning himself with what he believes to be the side of good no matter what the cost is and that is a heavy hitter right there good for you friends really love to see that yeah and this, this is one of those bravery moments where i i put it like it was prioritizing the correct things at the beginning because it's not bravery like i'm gonna run into this dark cave not knowing what's on the other side it's bravery in determining hey the future of good versus evil is more important than me getting along with my tribe right now and it's those kind yeah, of decisions that we see a lot in this section yeah exactly and friends is oh you'll see him kind of as we go along the series more that he's very much the type of dude that is well not really the dude he's the type of centaur but he's the type of creature that is more about looking after what's right kind of like what we just said and that ends up getting him in pretty hot water with the rest of his herd of centaurs later on in the series and it's good that he is able to still kind of hold on to these beliefs and he's consistently able to chat with harry and tell him about what's going on in the stars and kind of making sure that he's still doing okay no matter what the heavens might be saying yeah, Ron, I'm super offended that you just go around calling all magical creatures dudes. That's extremely speciest. Dude, I don't know if you ever seen Good Burger, if you remember it, but Cal Mitchell has that great song where he goes, I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, yeah, we're all dudes. Oh, if you haven't seen that in a while, you definitely need to go back to some Burger King, man. And I'm sorry for that very poor Cal Mitchell impersonation, people. Um, I did my best. That is all I will say. I feel like I've heard that <laughs> song, but I've definitely never seen Good Burger or whatever you called it. Oh, dude, you're missing out. It was like Keenan and Cal before Keenan went on SNL and before Cal went off and did Cal things. I have to add it to the list then. Dude, definitely add it to the list. It was like peak live action Nickelodeon TV back in the day. The pilot episode is Keenan and Cal, like Keenan's eating a thing of tuna and there's a screw in it and he ends up choking on it. So they start to go sue the tuna company. And then Cal is like overcome with guilt because he put the screw in the tuna thing as a joke. He's like almost in tears confessing to Keenan. He's like, I put the screw to screw in the tuna. And he's like freaking out, dude, it's so funny. You need to like go back and watch it. They're great comedians. Anyway, we'll continue with Harry Potter though for we're not a Keenan and Cal podcast, unfortunately. That would be pretty fun to try to make though. I'd be very interested to see if one of those exists. I would be very um, lost the entire time, but I'm interested to catch up. No, it's very worth it. Or a Drake and Josh podcast. I would love a Drake and Josh podcast. Oh. Not sure how deep you would go with that. Maybe like a five minute episode, but Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> Megan is a psychopath. My God. I could do a whole psychology class on the brain of Megan. That would be super interesting to see. I'd love to see how that goes. There will be <laughs> no in defense of Megan video. There is no defense. 
no defense of Megan. Keep that in mind, people. Absolute maniac. <laughs> yeah. So on the way out of the forest, uh, Ferenda also informs Harry and the readers of the purpose of unicorn blood. So drinking the blood of a unicorn will extend your life, but by doing something so vile as to slay an innocent creature like that for the purpose of extending your own life, it results in you living a cursed half-life. <laughs> and then Ferenda hits us with an absolute banger after that where he goes, can you think of nobody who has waited many years to return to power? who has clung to life awaiting their chance. And I'm sure just like Harry, as a reader, your stomach just kind of drops out after you hear this. Like there's a really very real chance that our resident half giant Hagrid is right. Maybe Voldemort didn't have enough human in him left to die. Maybe there's a chance that he's still around and biding his time. And then friends also hits us with another great quote where I'm a big fan of this one, where he, as he leaves Harry back with Hagrid, Hermione and all them, he says, good luck, Harry Potter. The planets have been read wrongly before now, even by centaurs. I hope this is one of those times like, holy shit. And this is one of the things we lose in the movie because there's no way to show narration in someone's head. So Harry does instantly pick up on this and understand what it's supposed to mean. He knows that the centaurs think Voldemort was supposed to kill him just now in the woods. The centaurs have seen in the stars that Harry is supposed to die in the woods by Voldemort's hand. So Drew, I think that's a really good point. And also that just kind of shows you that Bane and Ronan were totally cool with just letting this kid die in the woods like right now under their watch, which is super messed up. And who's to say that in a world where Voldemort comes back, he kills the boy who lived, nobody else will know how to stand up to him and defeat him. Like who's to say that he would make a good world for the centaurs also, you know, like as far as I could tell, like he was never a huge fan of, or gave a shit about magical creatures in any any capacity at all. So it is messed up from a human standpoint, but in their culture and their, I guess you could call it a religion, to be honest, they seem like they treat the stars as their guiding god. That's completely normal for them, which is why it's so weird that Ferenz goes against what he's been raised as. Yeah, but we've got to say it's pretty good that he did or else we would have been in pretty deep trouble. That would have been real awkward because I don't yeah. think Malfoy was getting Harry out of that. No, he bailed. He was no chance. He was getting Harry out of that and he would just throw some sparks at him. Nothing would be going down there. We end the chapter with Harry returning to the Gryffindor common room and I always got a kick out of this little section where like Ron was waiting for him in the common room and he was like sleeping in a chair and like Harry goes to shake him awake and he like yells something about Quidditch fouls when he wakes up and then like Harry relays all the stuff to everybody in the group and they're just like dumbfounded. They don't really have any good input here, unfortunately. Uh, that's just the case there. But Harry goes back to his bed and when he pulls back his covers, what does he find but the invisibility cloak with the note pinned to it just in case. Just in case of what? We'll have to find out. Filch definitely sent the invisibility cloak this time, which means he probably sent it the first time. So I'm back in defense of Team Filch. He's clearly trying to help Harry behind the scenes. See, I think the Dursleys wrote to Filch to make sure that Harry still had his gift. And Filch, in his absolute favoritism of Harry Potter, went digging around and finally found it and gave it back to him. So I think you're right. This is actually a different invisibility cloak. Filch kept the first one <laughs> and everyone else all the other professors felt bad <laughs> so they went and made a new one and gave it back to harry <laughs> they're just making counterfeit knockoff 
invisibility cloaks. It's like that row in New York City where you get like fake Louis Vuitton bags for like thirty bucks. Yeah, this is the Chinatown invisibility cloak. <laughs> oh no! I hope not. You don't want this thing to wear out. It's very important, very useful. It, it comes in handy very often. It does indeed. And with that, Drew, we get to another absolute banger of a chapter. Chapter 16, Through the Trap Door. And we only know one trap door so far, and that is the one in the room on the third floor corridor. A high likelihood that shit is about to go down. I'm hype. Let's get into it. So school year is winding down, and when you have the kids that should be looking forward to summer at this point, Gryffindor House is a dire straits for the house cup, but hey, if they could swing a big W against Ravenclaw, you know, they could sort of not really have a shot. And if not, maybe next year, am I right? Like, they'll be back in it eventually. But outside of those worries for a lot of the kids, everybody's doing pretty good. But Harry just can't shake this funny feeling. that Like, he's having frightening recurring dreams combined with a shaky suspicion that something is going to happen with Snape in the stone. It's going to happen soon, and he just can't rest without figuring out what's going on. This just goes into his character, like the boy who will be told that he has a bit of a, quote, saving people thing. He won't rest knowing that something's up and he can do something about it. Yeah, and, I, I definitely well, want to stress that the scar was acting up in the woods. It's hurting him even more often now, and his nightmares are getting worse. That's like Harry Potter book code. We're getting to a big end game in this book. <laughs> like, pay attention. Like, it must be spring. <laughs> yeah. Good on Voldy, dude. He always waits until after final exams to spring up he definitely cares about their education lets them get their finals done they could coast through the rest of the year just doing those fun projects movie days whatever and then he's like all right sorry to interrupt kids but i let you get through the important part of your education it's about to go down he's gonna dive in and wreak havoc he definitely does not want to take over a world like idiocracy where the average iq of these wizards is extremely low when he takes over he wants his underlings to be intelligent enough to be able to actually help him Exactly. Smart and a pure good wizarding stock. Racist. Yes. Now, the defense of Grindelwald video, that's definitely coming because Voldemort is actually Hitler, whereas Grindelwald is just a revolutionary. Yeah, Voldemort is very much wizard Hitler. So, Grindelwald, I could see your defense of series. I'd be interested in actually watching that. I don't know if I could fight the other side for you on that, but... We will get there when we get there. I can't wait for the part where we actually do get the Grindelwald section in this because I am such a big Fantastic Beasts fan now that I don't remember Grindelwald from the original series at all. I don't even remember him in the movies. I don't know if they touch on him much other than just the little section about the Elder Wand. So you guys know my feelings about David Yates' <laughs> renditions of Harry Potter already. If um, you don't, just wait for the in-review of mo the movie, which will be one of our next videos. <laughs> Exactly, but Grindelwald does have a small piece in the later books. We're not going to talk about it too much, what he does, because that's going to be a pretty big spoiler for his impacts, but he actually gets his character butchered in Deathly Hollows Part 1 in the movie, and it's actually really unfortunate that they completely go against the grain of what his character had turned into at that point, and I'm not a huge fan of what goes down there. We'll just leave it at that for now, but in the movie and review of Deathly Hollows Part 1, we will touch on that very much. So while Harry's mulling over all this stuff and he's noticing, like, there's something not right, there's something not right, I need to figure out what's going on, I feel like there's something I need to do to stop whatever is going to go down, he has an epiphany. 
so Hagrid is our lovable half giant and we've beaten the guy up a little bit earlier on but we're gonna beat him up some more now and it's very deserving honestly unfortunately he would never let Dumbledore down on purpose and you can't deny that it's funny that someone who happens to have something Hagrid would really want in this case a dragon's egg and that same person would be able to convince Hagrid to just keep on drinking, which that probably was not very hard, we'll be totally honest, and take a keen, genuine interest in the creatures that he watches after, especially Fluffy. It's a real treat to see Hag Harry's gears turning here, and you get to see him like cracking the code in real time. It's like re it's all just hitting him in waves all at once. And at the same time, Hagrid, dude, come on. You know how important of a secret this is to keep. So you let this guy just keep drinking you under the table and you spill the beans about something priceless and extremely dangerous of a magical artifact and how it can be accessed like how to get past oh my god so i love haggard and hot take fire him he gets way too long of a leash at the school um consistently does stuff like this and push the envelope way too much that or just don't trust him with this important stuff anymore sorry haggard you proved that you can't handle holding on to key information you're not allowed to have it anymore this is way too big of a screw up to go unnoticed or unpunished I think that Parker's debate is like he's horrified that he told these kids that if you just play some music fluff, he gets lulled to sleep and you can walk past the dog. But he didn't even bat an eye telling this complete stranger that. I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand it at all. Yeah, the worst part for me regarding this situation is that immediately upon getting the egg, the kids asked, "What did you give up for this? What happened during this conversation at this bar that you managed to get this egg?" And he, I think he specifically said nothing about fluffy like he told the kids yeah don't worry i didn't say nothing about nothing and now he's like oh well i i might have said literally everything pick one hagrid the only defense i do have for him is voldemort does get all of the info out from all the other professors on how to break their puzzles as well so i guess that's why dumbledore has to trust not has to trust hagrid but still can trust him because he's not the only one who fails here that's fair I will give you that that's fair, but at the same time, like, this is him telling somebody, like, he didn't know that this was Pearl. This was some dude in disguise at a bar, which makes it worse to me. Yeah, it's atrocious. It's bad. There's no defense for that. That's just very poor, and, like, it's a slap in the face. Like, Dumbledore's a psycho, but, like, that's just a slap in the face to this dude who's always trusted you and always had your back. Absolutely. That's not the way you go about doing this. So then, like, after this gets this gets thrown down, like, alarm bells are blaring for Harry. He's like, I, there's stuff going on. It's going down now. This is another case of the adults at Hogwarts are useless. And Harry gathers the gang. They're going to go tell Dumbledore one problem. He's been summoned to the Ministry of Magic. Uh, very convenient that it happened today into tomorrow for some pretty urgent matters. McGonagall, like, keeps running into them, and she says, you kids best cut it out. I don't know how you know about the stone. The teacher's got it. It's defended. Give it a rest. I'll take even more points for you. Like, don't worry about that. And then even Snape, too, he says some very incriminating shit to the gang. Really having up that it really hands up in the book that, like, maybe this guy is bad. Maybe he's going to be taking the stone away. Watch this dude. He's not great. And at this point, Harry's just like, all right, who cares about possible expulsion? Who cares about losing points? Snape is going for the stone tonight to give Voldemort. I need to do what I can to stop him. It's going on tonight. I'm going down there tonight. And again, what's in truly like a really fantastic and heartwarming example of the gang always having each other's back and their dedication to each other. Our pal Ron, he goes, when Harry mentions taking the cloak to go down to the third floor corridor, Ron's like, all right, cool. But uh, is the cloak going to cover all three of us? And then he's like, uh, what? And he's like, don't be stupid. We're coming with you. You're not doing this alone, which 
it becomes kind of a thing that we'll see a lot time and time again in this series where like you'll run into a bunch of things where Harry thinks he can do things by himself and oh this is hard because I really there's like so many good connections to later on in the series here about like having to go things alone but I won't touch them for you guys just yet so there is this whole chapter is just foreshadowing for one specific chapter in Deathly Hollows, which blows my mind. It really is, because, like, you'll see kind of as the series goes on a lot of times that Harry always thinks, this is my fight, this is something I have to do this, I did this, I did this, I will do this, that kind of thing. And it's constantly his friends bringing him back down to Earth, like, hey, like, we've been by your side this whole time, we've experienced a lot of this stuff with you, we're going to continue to experience this stuff with you. If you don't like it, too bad, we're going to help you either way. And that's kind of shows why they all definitely belong in Gryffindor and that they're tremendously loyal, tremendously brave. They will go forward into the dark to face whatever challenges may come up to them, which is super admirable. And again, that goes from at this point, it goes from beating a troll to protecting the stone. They're in this together, like an unwritten pact. And they don't care if they risk expulsion too. Well, I mean, Hermione probably won't get expelled because we find out she got a 112 on her charms final. I love but that. Ron, Ron definitely at risk of expulsion. <laughs> Your I, B student life is not going to help you here, Ronnie. That and a couple of other random things. This chapter is so bulky and is really the beginning of the action and has so much to talk about. But just the random hilarious things in this chapter as well. The the Hermione getting 112 on, a, on an exam, so she thinks they won't expel her. Snape has them make a forgetful potion, which I can't tell is hilarious or if it's extremely depressing because Snape probably wants to just always drink the forgetful potion and that professor bins is so underrated and i don't think he's in the movies at all and it upsets me because he's one of my favorite professors now i love the man so (laughs) in this first like couple pages of this chapter we get all this hilarious nonsense right before the storm yeah dude you're totally right professor bins actually plays a pretty well not the biggest role but he has a pretty key point or moment in next book that is also conveniently left out of the movies and instead given to Professor McGonagall, just because they didn't want to animate a ghost professor, I guess. I'm not sure what yeah. the case is there. Because they just and never also, introduced him. Yeah. And like in terms of the Snape forgetfulness potion, they also I need to see the page it's on, but Rolling definitely makes a joke about how like the gang is struggling to remember how to make a forgetfulness potion or something it's, like that. That's it's the like exact a really line words. is like Snape made us remember how to create a forgetfulness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. So, in the face of the courage that the trio is displaying right now, we end up seeing another version of courage here. And that's the ability to stand up for yourself, to stand up to anybody, even if it is your friends. Neville Longbottom, of course, looking for his toad. What else is new? He overhears that they're about to start leaving the common room very late at night. And he stands in their way to attempt to stop them from getting into trouble and losing more points. And I also really enjoy this exchange between Ron and Neville, where Neville goes, you were the ones that told me to stand up for myself. And then Ron goes, yeah, but not to us. <laughs> <laughs> this this uh, is legitimately when I became a Neville fan. Neville is 100% my favorite character in the books. Hands down, it's not even close. And this was the first step. Because he yeah, doesn't look you... as doofy in the book, so I'm picturing he looks exactly like everyone else because I don't like really picture faces when I read. So just him standing up to his friends... And literally telling them, like, you're the ones who told me to be courageous, and now I'm doing it, so don't get mad. Is I love Neville. <laughs> and this was really the first moment. 
Yeah, dude, and it really does take some uncommon courage to like be able to stand up to your friends like this, especially some dude who's been trodden all over throughout the entire series to this point and like always just looks so hapless and scared and whiny. So good for him. It's Absolutely. good. It's a very, very good change in the right direction for our guy. Regretfully, Hermione goes, sorry, devil, Petrificus Totalis, you're full body bound. And then they step over the poor kid's just frozen body on the ground, like, peace out, devil, catch you later. You'll just be sitting there staring at the ceiling. Uh, they throw on the cloak, and they make their way towards that corridor. Uh, that, spell, just... that spell being used on Neville is such a painful throwback, too, because Hermione only learned it since Malfoy was going to use it on Neville. And she's like, well, Malfoy knows that spell. I'm going to go learn it so I can use it on Malfoy. And it's just, the spell literally exists to be used on Neville, apparently, and it makes me so sad. Oh, poor Neville. We do get to see it used on other people a little later on, which is fun. That's but good. For now, it's Neville. It's only Neville. <laughs> Frozen Neville. Neville on a stick. <laughs> so we run into some close calls between just barely getting past Mrs. Norris and Peeves, and the gang is able to also big success, success here. Uh, that's a lot of C's, a lot of S's. It's very hard to spell, very, even harder to say. Uh, they're able to just barely get past Fluffy, uh, thanks to the owl-sounding flute that Harry received from Hagrid. So, slight points back for Hagrid, not a ton. And they noticed there was an enchanted harp there before that they believe was Snape's doing in order to get past the Beast as well. Thanks to the music, the Beast does not stir, as Hagrid had said, and they enter the trapdoor to begin their trek to stop Snape from getting the stone. However, things are never as easy as they seem, naturally. The gang lands on a plant when falling through the trapdoor. It's a big drop, but it's a nice, cushy, like, good good landing for them. Yeah, it's comfy. It's and, like a mattress. Yeah, Drew, this is no bed of Bermuda grass on a putting green. It is actually Devil's Snare, which quickly gets to work in its attempt to strangle Harry and Ron. Hermione, luckily, was able to sneak her way out of it before the plant woke up. Luckily, so, or because she's smart and doesn't just lay in a plant that is obviously a trap? Yeah, probably smart. Most likely smart. <laughs> hey, we just escaped a three-headed monster, uh, but this is probably fine. I'm sure this is a like a relaxing room. This is the save point before the final boss, right? Nothing dangerous here. It's got to be. Use your items. Do whatever you have to do. Warp point right outside to warp back here after you like go to the inn, get some restores in, you know, that kind of stuff. This really is uh, like Dark Souls where their save point rooms or the little fire camp thing and some of the rooms purposely make you try to feel comfortable and you walk in you're about to hit the fire and then this giant behemoth comes out from behind the wall oh yeah. geez yeah yeah so that's basically kind of what this is and i think i'm gonna kind of go with a little bit of a hot take here i think professor sprouts trap was the most deadly interesting just based on what we're seeing here setting this underneath this devil snare that could strangle and kill you i think that's probably the most hardcore one we run into i would probably agree with you because we see in the chest thing that you, it doesn't seem like you can die and snapes you would have to make the choice to there be an option for you to die whereas this one there is no choice it's if you don't get out of it you're gonna die yeah this is an ambush yeah. by all senses of it so it's you get a false sense of security by landing on something soft ergo our two geniuses ron and harry and then you get swallowed up by the devil's stare unless you can use your magic to get out of it so i i would like to read the section just because this leads to probably one of my favorite callbacks in the series so stay tuned for basically the end of deathly hollows when this goes down it's very funny and it always catches me when i like 
well, now I kind of look for it, but when I would not, when I was first rereading the series again, like it caught me off guard and I like actually audibly laughed and I very much enjoyed it. So for readers at home, we're towards the top of page 278. So we're going to start with what Hermione's saying here. She goes, devil snare, devil snare. Uh, what did Professor Sprout say? It likes the dark and the damp. So light a fire, Harry choked. Yes, of course, but there's no wood, uh, Hermione cried, wringing her hands. Have you gone mad, Ron bellowed. Are you a witch or not? And then Hermione, brain blast, I make these little fires all the time. She just lights the fire and the devil snare kind of scurries away and everybody's safe. So It's even funnier because this is the spell that we see her use the most in this book. I, I remember at least three times, I think four. It really is. So just not a very good thinker under pressure from poor Hermione here. She's just something she's not usually something she's not very good at. I yeah, think she, we see a couple of times. She doesn't have the street smarts. Very, very book smart though. Incredibly book smart. Way more book smart than Ron is street smart. So it, it, she's still smarter than Ron. Yeah, definitely. She's definitely the, the brains of that, that collection right there. So something that I really enjoy about this book, and of course, most importantly, this section of the specific books, I guess you could call it the end game, is that all the puzzles that the teachers laid to protect the stone end up playing to each member of our trio's particular strengths after the devil's snare, of course. So first we run into Flitwick's puzzle, which involves the enchanted keys. So basically the goal here is to get to the next room, you've got to find the correct key and use it on the door, which of course, easier said than done, all of the keys can fly and they move extremely quickly and they all look relatively similar. There's tons of them, so it's hard to actually pick them out. But they end up acting similar to a, well, how a golden snitch would act. So Harry, using his great secret skills and then, of course, the help of Ron and Hermione to trap it, is able to identify the correct key, catch it, and use it on the door, and the game goes on to their next challenge. But before we continue here, I noticed this, this little blurb here and it was kind of threw me for a loop. Um, I didn't realize that one of Ron's secret skills was to be able to identify the type of key to use on a specific lock just by looking at it. Um, I thought it was pretty funny that when they were trying to figure out, like Hermione was trying to look more, it wasn't working. Uh, Ron went up and he like looked really close, touched his chin while he's looking at the lock. And he's like, yep, you're going to be looking for a big old fashioned one, probably silver based on the lock. And he said it so like matter of factly, like, how does he know this? Well, again, this is just his street smarts thing. He's seen a lot of keys and locks in his days. He, he's not about book smarts. He goes off his experience. Uh, I honestly didn't even think about it. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, yes, obviously it's a little weird. But I was too confused as to the fact that Voldemort must be a really good Quidditch player. I don't think we ever hear about him playing quidditch i thought he was more of the nerd in school maybe he had a spell to do the quidditching for him but this is i don't know how he got through this room this Dude, is the I'll only one you, i'll tell you straight on that like this is kind of a spoiler but not really when voldor was in school he was probably the most popular kid in school he was he's described constantly as like extremely handsome right very smart and very able to like manipulate people and kind of drive them so it wouldn't surprise me if he was also like a star he didn't play quidditch or anything i don't think but i think he was a pretty good at he, you could imagine he must have been a pretty good athlete he was able to like work for him or something see that that's like two different things for me in the harry potter world like cedric diggory is very similarly described as to what voldemort was when he was in school 
He's attractive. Everyone likes him. But that doesn't mean he's athletic. That doesn't mean he's good at riding a broom. I don't know. It's just super weird. I just assumed the only thing I could think of was he had a spell to be able to snag the key or to open the door without the key. I I can't picture him flying around on a broomstick. He must have because he was definitely rough with it too because they say that the key looks like it's like it's fine like it's disoriented almost and like the wigs are bent. So like he definitely just did something very like brutal to brute force his way through. Yeah, he jacked it up. And also at the same token, like I'll give Ron his his kudos for like being able to identify the key needed just based on the lock. But when they first find the key at Harry points to it, Ron goes flying at it and smacks into a wall too. So we get kind of give and take with our pal here. Yeah, poor guy is not as good at Quidditch as he would like to be yet. Oh, Weasley is our king. <laughs> so speaking of Ronnie Doves, we're on to our next challenge, and it's Professor McGonagall's. She has transfigured a giant chess set and you want to get the stone you're gonna to have to beat beat the opposing chess players you got to play your way across so this is pretty good for me i really like this little section here because you get to really see ron shine here he gets to direct the team he gets to lead them to success and that gets even harder when they play as they keep going through because you see a piece get taken for the first time and it is brutal the other night ron is playing one night they have the spare is the other you see it get smacked and like savagely beaten and dragged off the chessboard, which like that's pretty traumatizing if you're a child seeing this go down in front of you and knowing like if your pal who's directing you makes one wrong move, that's gonna be you. So Ron's largely leading the trio pretty successfully across the board and in a truly Gryffindor style move, he notices that like in order to win, he has to sacrifice himself as a chess piece. So he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to do it. Harry, this is the move you have to make next and we win. Like, don't worry about me. Don't look back at me. Don't come back for me after this happens. Just go. Keep going to the stone. So he goes over, sacrifices himself, knocked out cold, dragged off the board, and Harry checkmates the king. And with one last desperate glance at their friend to kind of hope that he's okay, the two continue on. Yeah, this this felt a little pigeonholed. JK was like, eh, Ron needs a bit more heroing before this book ends so let me just throw a chess puzzle in here (laughs) but it was an amazing scene it's still uh awesome to watch in the movie like the visuals are sick i ended up buying a magical chess board because of it which i don't know why this was like 2005 so it wasn't magical whatsoever it was just the, the pieces looked like it now there's legitimately puzzles based on this or puzzles chess boards based on this where you can talk and it's audio cued and they'll move for you which is so cool oh i need one of those in my life i'll have to look into that super cool uh lucky for the gang they're on to the next task which happens to be professor coral's task interesting enough and they do not have to have a grudge match with the troll as the troll is still knocked out for when snape went through and now they get, of course, speaking of Snape, they get to his la- the last obstacle, which happens to be his obstacle. As foreshadowed in Snape's intro class to the gang, uh, there will be no silly wand waving, no incantations, none of that will be going on down here. Cool logic and a level head will get you past his puzzle. With that, we get Hermione another chance to shine for our girl Hermione. Very good for her. We've got seven vials of potion and four clues to work through. So we've got uh, three poisons here that will kill the drinker to our nettle wine and i might be uncultured but i didn't know what that was so i looked up what nettle wine was and i looked up what nettles were 
And based on what I found, it says that it tastes similarly to spinach. So I can't say I'd probably be happy if I got metal wine vial to drink. And probably not something I would go out of my way to drink because I don't want to drink spinach. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I don't know what nettle is off the top of my head either, but it's in a ton of RPG, like medieval video game. I know nettle's bane is a thing in Skyrim. So it's Mm. interesting that it's something real. I never thought to look it up. Maybe a, a tasting of the Harry Potter series maybe might be in line soon. Ooh, that would some, be fun. Uh, yeah, some chocolate cauldrons, some uh, pumpkin juice, uh, pumpkin pasties, that kind of stuff. I have definitely had enough uh, Bernie Bots flavored beans in my life to never try them again. It was not. Yeah, worth. I think I'm good with no more Bernie Bots, man. I will pass. Yeah, that was terrible. I got a ton for Christmas right when the movies started coming out. It was awful. The flavors they put oh, in yeah. there is disgusting. <sighs> can't wait for stuff to be open again i want to go back to universal and just buy stuff from the candy shop oh all the candy there is so good anyway so we have two more potions as well we have one that will allow the drinker to resist the fire to continue forward to the last chamber and one that will allow them to resist the fire and go back if they so choose to so the fact that her body is able to work this out is pretty outstanding to me she is like just a young child and she like kind of works her way through and like cool head couldn't remember that she could make fire, but able to kind of work through this this difficult puzzle that could kill you. Very good looks for her there. Truly the cleverest witch of her time, we'll just say, right out the open. Definitely not false. It is super uh, upsetting and, to me that the cleverest witch didn't come from Ravenclaw, but I would assume that she claims it as her second house, so that is the thing that I have to sleep on at night because... It hurts that the smartest person at Griff- at uh, Hogwarts is in Gryffindor. Oh, Drew, that a fun little fact for you. She actually admits that in Order of the Phoenix, we get like a night a meeting with a bunch of the kids, and she actually admits that she almost went into Ravenclaw. Actually, the hat was trying to decide between Gryffindor and Ravenclaw for, her, and ultimately ended up leading Gryffindor for her. Really? So. Did she talk to it like Harry did? Was it very similar, or does she not say anything? That would be something I would have to look into, but I know that she references in the book at that point that she actually was almost in Ravenclaw. So that would be really get a little... really cool comparison if her and Harry had a similar, like not Slytherin, not Slytherin. <laughs> Definitely would. So that's a nice little, it's a little condolence for you if you were to choose to have one. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> So in class carry fashion, he encourages Hermione to take the bottle that would send her back, uh, grab Ron, go right to Dumbledore, get to him in any way you can, right? Send him an owl, do whatever. And Harry is going to do his best to fight off Snape and or Voldemort, no matter how hopeless it looks. And he even remarks once, hey, I got lucky before, right? Why not one more time? So you got to admire Harry. And like as Hermione said, he is a great wizard. And there's more to being, like, I think this is pretty poignant that she says here that it's more to being a wizard than knowing spells. It requires bravery, friendship, and other such intangibles. And it's like Jamarcus Russell, man. You could have the size, you could have the cannon arm from a prolific college background, but if your teammates have to bribe you with cheeseburgers to watch film, you're not going to be one of the greats. I love that our heads went to the exact same spot because I instantly thought about NFL quarterbacks. Doesn't matter how good your arm is, doesn't matter how mobile you are in the pocket. This is also the same dude that they tricked. They gave him a blank DVD with film, and they asked him, they said, all right, Jamarcus, go watch this at home tonight, and then we're going to talk about it tomorrow. 
So blank DVD, absolutely nothing on it. So he comes in the next day, like, all right, Jamarcus, like, what was on the film? What did you see? And he starts going off about like cover two defenses and stuff like that. And they're just like, oh, Jesus Christ, this dude didn't even open this. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least put yeah. the movie in and watch in the background. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Do it while you're AFK barbarian fishing or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. So Harry Pod crossing through the flames, blocking his way onward. He notices that Snape isn't in the chamber, and neither is Voldemort. There's somebody else here, and this is a great cliffhanger ending for a chapter, by the way. I definitely, they also set it up so well in the book that you have to actually turn the page to see what went down. Yes. Very big props to, is it Scholastic? Yeah, big ups to Scholastic here for setting that up. And before we, before we do move on, and before we get to this cliffhanger, because at this point, it is not Voldemort, and it is not Snape, you've been saying Snape this whole time, and I've been saying Voldemort, so I'm interested, did you, on your first read-through, actually think that it was Snape? Oh, I totally did. Interesting. I was 100% that it was not Snape. I still thought that maybe Snape was a bad guy, but I legitimately thought this was Voldemort crashing through hogwarts right now wow that would be an even bigger indictment on dumbledore if it was actually full-on Voldemort in the flesh just like hanging out in his school well i didn't i didn't know how yeah. magical magical got i i assumed if the man wasn't dead he was still a dude like maybe he didn't have all of his magic maybe he was trying to get this stone to get his magic back but i just assumed he was still in a human body <laughs> oh you're partially right <laughs> yep <laughs> oh no yeah so yeah i just thought it was snape i was like reading super into it and i was like yo this dude is super sketch he seems like a jerk totally him he's the classic villain set up here i was not intelligent enough for the plot twist yet i really didn't get on the anti-snape bandwagon until order of the phoenix it was understandable at, it was at that point where i was like never mind this dude's a horrible person 100 percent a death eater he's good he wants to kill harry yeah, I could definitely see how you would come to that conclusion after that book, too, especially what kind of goes down towards the end of that book. And even you could even go through the entire book in that. I was going to say it was more towards the beginning, and then just the further I went, the more I was like, no, Snape's a horrible person. Yeah, no doubt, dude. I just kept on rolling through that book. But for now, he is innocent. Oh, Ron, hold up. That's my pizza. Dude, what do you mean? We're in the middle of recording. What What, what pizza? Yeah, but I don't think you understand. Pizza versus recording, it's obvious who wins. See you later. Dude, we're we planned this time slot. We're busy right now. Where are you going? Drew. 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 What? All right, guys. So Drew's out, and my mom said I'm not allowed to talk to strangers by myself. So I think we're going to have to cut this episode short. Tune in next time for the second half and rousing conclusion of this episode of the C2C podcast presents Harry Potter. Take care.